ironoverload.io presents Iron Overload No Bullshit Podcast with your co-host Steve from the American Underground and Mobster from the UK Iron Den. Get ready for the UG info like you've never heard before. No bullshit, no lies, straight hardcore truth. A bodybuilding podcast like you never heard before. And here we go. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. Iron Overload.io Hardcore, episode 38 coming your way. In this one, we're going to talk about the growth of the classic bodybuilding versus open class bodybuilding. So we have some really good topics. Uh, we had a really good uh, pre-show. And uh, Mobster has some really strong opinions on this. He's, you know, he's the man on this. He's got like tons of, he's been following this, this whole game for a long time. And he's seen the evolution. So I'll bring in Mobster first. Let's first talk about Mobster. Explain first classic bodybuilding versus Mr. Olympia. What are the differences for those who are out there who don't follow bodybuilding closely? In simple terms, Steve, it, they cannot get too big. Uh, and, and this is done on a how much they weigh times how tall they are. So, for example, I, I remember reading some uh, article donkeys years ago. I think Lee Priest was actually kind of at the extreme end of this. And it was to do with how much you can weigh, four pounds per inch of height. As a good example, on my height, I believe that means I can weigh 280. Now, I weigh a lot more than 280. But for me to have a certain look, like a, a, even an open-class bodybuilder, Steve, would be 280 pounds. In classic physique, it's less. It is deliberately done that particular way. It encourages more of an aesthetic look rather than an extreme freaky look. Uh, and obviously, you're going to get different heights uh, varying through the sport. So uh, the, the, I think Chris Bumstead, for example, is six six one, something like that. Uh, whereas other competitors that are trying to kick Chris's ass, as the current uh, classic Mr. Olympia, are shorter. But every single one of them is, is subject to these rules and these restrictions. And in fact, there's been a little bit of a faff a few times on uh, people's heights being measured differently in different competitions. Uh, one particular person may have had implant put underneath the scalp because if he was taller, he could weigh more. And you've had guys have actually missed the weight. They've turned up, measured an inch different from the last time that they were measured, which they shouldn't have been, and uh, found out, you know, they, 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 they were four pounds. I think one guy was seven pounds over but because the measurement actually went back and remeasured him found out there'd been a mistake. So you've got these kind of things going on. But basically, it comes out in aesthetic. The argument with regards to the height and the weight is a way of enforcing that. But let's be honest, it's a look. And the look is arguably 70s bodybuilder more ripped. What do I mean by that? I mean a small waist. I mean a, a, a wide shoulder, good shapely arms, good calves, etc. So the best way to describe it, I would say, is a... 1973 Arnold Schwarzenegger with with that small waist, with the broad shoulders, with the whole X frame going on, but not oversized. What what would be another way of putting it? If the open class is the freak of all freaks, then there's an aesthetic, a kind of Apollonian, uh, not if if open is Herculean, then the look of Apollo in the Greek uh, gods of bodybuilding, if you like, would be. The classic look, Steve. Back to you. If you did a poll um, out there and you asked people, what do you like better? 
classic bodybuilding look, physique look versus the Mr. Olympia open competition where guys are 280 pounds and huge. You're going to get 90% of people saying, yeah, I like the first. I like the classic bodybuilding look better. And then also people who really follow bodybuilding will say, well, you know, the Mr. Olympia they open is boring. It's more exciting to watch classic bodybuilding back in the day, like just watching a classic bodybuilding show back in the day when Arnold was in classic bodybuilding. And that was more exciting. Yet Frank Zane and Arnold and Franco and all these guys that, that, that was more exciting. Chris Dickerson today, it's less exciting. There's less of a appeal to everybody. Everybody back then knew uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Okay. It took him going into movies, obviously, to expand his brand. But today, you don't know. Like, if you ask a normal person who's Hottie Chupon, well, he was a Mr. Olympia. Most people have never even heard of his name. It's not a household name. Big Rami. No one knows what Big, Big Rami is. So, I mean, and we're going to get into that, too, about the mar different markets and North America and, and, you know, the followers on Instagram and stuff. Some officers, he brought up a good point about that. I'm going to let him talk about it in a bit. But here's the thing, like, you know, it's all about, it's all about marketing. And if, if companies are able to market these bodybuilders and make more money marketing them, they're going to gravitate toward that, you know, these supplement brands that without these supplement brands, it's just like golf. If you took away Nike and Adidas and or tennis, same thing. If you took away all these companies, these apparel companies, you want they they want to be able to pay all these golfers and all these tennis players all this money. They they don't you can't fund these tournaments just from the people showing up to watch. You have to have outside marketing and outside prom promoting and and all that and advertisements on TV and advertisements there and and the athletes wearing wearing the, the the nike brand or the adidas brand or whatever so you have to have that in bodybuilding you're going on stage in a freaking underwear and you have no apparel at all so these guys are going to have to use their social media when they work out to push the apparel but that's not really you know what they're pushing they're pushing more on the supplement end okay i'm taking this supplement i'm taking that supplement so it all boils down to, you know, the dollar. It all boils down to the, 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 the money when it comes to this. So that's where it's going to go. So a lot of you out there who say, well, I like, you know, I like this better than that. Well, it's not going to be pushed if there's not enough money in it. So that's all that's all that's going to influence it. Go ahead, Mobster. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a simple thing for me, Steve, in terms of the marketing side. Uh, I'll there was, you might remember certain perfume adverts, well, very big name brands. Uh, let, let me think now, I'm going to say mid 80s and 90s. And there was a certain look that these models, the male models would have when they were advertising. You'd see these adverts for some perfume. There'd be a, a beautiful female model landing on a boat and then a male model. And he'd have, you know, that sort of wavy Tarzan-like hair or something like that. And he'd have a six pack and he'd have, he'd have a really kind of sort of, Look, and let's be honest, the man in the street didn't look like that, but the man in the street wanted to look like that. And so this is where this kind of aspect comes in. Now, what we're talking about here is still bodybuilding. So it's not necessarily what we would quote unquote call a man in the street, but it's still more appealing. And advertising companies, the companies with supplement products, et cetera, to promote and market and whatever else, going to have a look at on this basis, Steve. 
It's quite simple. If I put Jay Cutler at close to 300 pounds back in the day, 2004, and I put him on a, uh, an advert for a protein powder, and then next month in the same magazine, I put a physique like Chris Bumstead selling, promoting that same product. You know, here's Chris's, here's the protein that he takes. My best guess is that I sell more because of Chris's look. And that's got nothing to do with necessarily their personality. Jay Cutler is an amazing physique and an absolutely amazing body. And probably, as I've said in the previous uh, uh, podcast, the pro's pro. Even though it's more about the business and marketing and promotion, it gives advice to people when they've won titles like the Masters, Mr. Olympia, the Classic Mr. Olympia, the Open Mr. Olympia. He's one of the first guys to ring you up and congratulate you. So he's a great, great athlete. Retired, but is still a really, really good person in that particular way. Maybe Chris doesn't, but it's business. And the bottom line is who sells more? I mean, one of the things that you and I talked about in the pre-show, and I'll touch on this nasty, and it's been mentioned in other podcasts by other channels, popularity, simple popularity. And again, that comes back to marketing as well right now. You and I discussed in the pre-show, when Remy went back to Egypt, after the first time he won the Olympia, the opportunities he had in the Middle East were huge. And he probably made multiple millions of dollars. Just as simple as a result, we don't always understand, as you said, the main market is North America. And by North America, we mean the USA and Canada. That's where the money is. That's where bodybuilding will have its, its homeland, if you like. But a someone that wins in America with the best title that's available to them, i.e. the open-class mystery, and then goes back to Egypt or Iraq or Iran, like Hadi, is unbelievably popular. The, the, the newspapers go crazy. They're on the news. They're getting interviewed and so on and so forth. But let's, make, let's just do the numbers here, Steve. Chris Bumstead has, and I checked these figures last week, guys, as a research for this show, 15 million followers just on Instagram. And again, I compared Big Rami's numbers at the same time. Now, remember, Steve, Rami gets off the plane after winning the Olympia. There is a bus there with his face plastered wrapped onto the side of the bus there are cars there's a procession of cars following him into the main town into the main city he's i've seen interviews of him on e evening egypt tv news programs and so on and so forth big Rami's numbers on instagram 4.7 million like i said it's the numbers and the numbers to me is why he is he more popular Rami has an amazing physique he's a freak upon freaks in egypt he would be, you know, a, a rock star, but the numbers don't lie. So, and it's not just because Chris comes from North America, specifically Canada. It's because people are more attracted to his physique. And for business, let's not muck about, guys. If you put a person on the front page of a magazine and you sell more issues, then that's the person that's popular. That's the person that sells. If you put but an open-class bodybuilder on your tub of protein and you sell 100,000 subs, but you put a classic physique competitor on the next tub of protein and you sell 150,000 subs, show me the money. It goes where the money is. So there's that. There's something else, Steve, and I'll touch on this now. There's an argument to be made for who are Chris's followers, and it's mostly younger guys going to the gym. I'm going to say between 18 and 25, late teens and to the mid-20s. The look that he has is one that they think will appeal to themselves amongst their peers, but also to women. If I look like Chris, I will attract more girls. It's as simple as that. So the argument also is what we would say, and we've mentioned this many times, 
in when we're talking about training or whatever else, it's an obtainable look. That's what they feel. Now, I don't know necessarily that that's 100% true, but it's what you kind of think is true. What do I mean the difference between those two things? This is simple. Chris is a freak. And if you don't think he's a freak, you're missing out. Because if he's not a freak, then we all look like Chris and we do not. And we don't necessarily have his genetics. But equally, he is not a freak of freaks in the way that Big Ramy is. He's not 300 pounds. He's not got 30-inch thighs. So if you're looking at him and you're starting the train, you kind of get it maybe in your mind that you could potentially look like him if you keep plugging away, if you keep doing uh, training and you, you, you stay there and you do what he does and you eat like he does. And hopefully one day, you know, if your genetics are there too, you will end up looking like Chris. And you've got more chance of that, which is probably true, than you ever looking of like Hattie or Rami or any of the winners of the open class. What do you think, Steve? Yeah, I, you know, like for me, I mean, I, I'll admit, um, look, I like all sports. I'll watch, you know, I'll watch NBA, watch NHL, watch NFL, you know. Um, I'll watch soccer World Cup, you know, even though I'm not a huge soccer fan. Um, you know, on this side of the pond, we're not big soccer fans, mobster, like you guys are, but – I still watch the world cup. It's interesting. I just cheer for the underdogs, you know? So, so for me, I like all sports and, you know, in bodybuilding, you know, I have a lot of respect for these guys because I know how much hard work they have to put in, how much pain they have to go through their mental, how strong mentally they have to be and go through all this. So for me, I understand where it's coming from, but from someone, you know, who's looking at the outside, that's the, that's the big issue with bodybuilding is that people don't understand because it's not like a normal situation. Like soccer, everyone understands. You can watch it on TV. These guys, they run miles and miles and miles during a soccer game, a professional soccer game. They are running miles and miles and miles. They can kick the ball so fucking hard. Like you can literally break a bone. That's how hard they kick the ball. So it's just, you just it boggles the mind how talented these guys. They can kick the soccer ball all the way more than halfway across the field accurately that takes an incredible amount of skill and so it's easy just to go to the soccer field and take a ball and dribble it around and try to kick it and try to kick it accurately you know to a spot with a certain amount of height and certain amount of, of, of distance and realize yeah i can never be a professional soccer player but in bodybuilding it's different everyone thinks yeah i can just take a bunch of steroids and go become a pro bodybuilder so I think that's one of the issues as to why bodybuilding, you know, just is not ever going to take off the way other sports are. I think it's just like everybody just thinks, eh, I'm not really that impressed. You know, this guy just takes a bunch of steroids and he gets to where he is. I think I just think it, that's a that's a big part of it. So I think um, so they just have to make do with what they have and what they have at this point is basically it's. They're just depending on all these sources of income. And if you're a bodybuilder and you're trying to make it, you have to depend on that mobster. You can't just go out there and think, yeah, I'm going to sign a contract to play for a team and make millions of dollars. You have to go out there and be like, yeah, no, I have to pick up endorsements. So I have to market myself and I have to, you know, show off and I have to do all this stuff. And it, I, I couldn't do it, man. I could not be, it's a, just a miserable, miserable way to have to do what you love, you know, in, in that and bodybuilding. Let me Go jump ahead, back in. Let me jump back in here for a second, Steve. I think you've actually kind of almost, almost 
I say very quietly, almost got it. And I'll tell you what it is. Every in, in, Here in the United Kingdom, soccer would be the game. Where you are, you've got American uh, football. And I think the thing of it is, is that kind of aspect of both those games, certainly when we're younger, where we imagine that we could play quite well. There's not an Englishman, especially if he's got a pint of lager in his belly, that thinks he can't play a good game of soccer. In reality, those guys, as you said, are running miles per game. They are athletic. Some of them do backflips to score goals. The goalie's throwing himself onto hard ground. And, 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 and it's a good, solid 90 minutes. The same thing with professional rugby here in Wales. And the same thing, as I say, with American football over there. In reality, how many people weigh, like, say, for example, a linebacker in the States, 300 pounds of muscle and strength and power without drug assistance? I've used that analogy for the open class versus, say, for example, a kicker here in rugby. Most of our rugby kickers are small, but they play, they're cooking, as you say, a ball, a, a, an egg shaped ball halfway down the pitch to score a goal. And, and again, I, I can think of some of the classic footballers. So I think it's that kind of, and again, it's what people's perception and what they think. So the classic physique is the same as us thinking we could play. Me, for example, as a 14, 15 years of age, could I play football? In reality, I was a really, really bad football player, soccer player. I was rubbish. But I guarantee you, if you'd have asked me when I was 15, I thought I could play football. And everybody around me would have said the same thing. And for me, that's what classic physique is. It's that I think I could be like this person. Whereas if I look, and again, the man in the street is a very good example here. And I think you touched on it earlier on with the poll, where you said, if you showed people a male model selling perfume, if you showed them uh, a David Beckham at his best when he was playing football, if you showed them a classic physique competitor, and if you showed them an open class competitor, David's probably going to win when he was playing football with the blonde hair and the fact that he can kick a ball around and, and now worth something stupid like £300 million. Pounds. People are going to be more want to be like him, attracted to him. And also say that I, if my opportunities have been presented to me, I could have done the same thing. In reality, David was kicking the ball around uh, uh, and playing and being scouted to play football when he was six. So we, we know the genetics, we know the aspects, but it's that idea, the perception and, of course, what people think is attractive. So there's a nice element there. I want to change the subject now a little bit, Steve. One of the things that's been a big influence, probably in the last, I'm going to say, three, four years, is Arnold Schwarzenegger himself. And, again, this is a business aspect as well. You have to remember that Arnold puts on the Arnold, the Arnold Classic, which is a sports festival as well. That's not just a big bodybuilding competition, an open-class bodybuilding competition, which is uh, invitation, but also invitation for the 212 invitation for the classic and Arnold himself has said I think bodybuilding should look like classic bodybuilders now there's an argument to be made with regards to Arnold's comments on the basis of Arnold wants bodybuilders to look like that because that's what Arnold looked like himself I'd probably say the same kind of thing in regards to the way that I've lifted weights in the past you know everybody should do competitions the way that I did competitions and that's kind of selfish it's a little bit narrow-minded but again you have to also remember Arnold is an amazing, seriously, seriously good businessman. So, again, there's an argument to be made. If Arnold has influence, which he does, he's putting on competitions, which means he's putting his money in with promotion, with sponsors, but he's putting some of his own money in for these competitions. He's trying to influence the sport, arguably, 
potentially arguably in a healthy direction, which we'll get into momentarily. And again, the business does the classic physique, in Arnold's opinion, not only look nicer, not only is a nicer aesthetic, not only is it potentially arguably healthier, but is it also making more business sense, like you and I have just discussed? Does Arnold see, arguably again, a future that where the classic physique, and people have talked about this, Steve, may equal and even possibly pass in popularity, in marketing, in money, et cetera, et cetera. I kind of think it's kind of already doing that outside of the sport, that there's a future where the classic physique might end up being the class, surpassing one way or another, the uh, open class, the freaks of freaks. So right now, for example, they're not at financially in terms of prizes, the level that the Olympia or the Arnold coughs up. There's no hundreds of thousands of dollars, quarter of a million dollars or whatever else, but the money is slowly but surely creeping up. It's certainly become more rewarding. And I think you touched on it earlier on. There's an argument to be made again for outside of the sport via sponsorship, via promotion, via the ability to make money through Instagram, through social media, which I think Chris has kind of already got a handle on in terms of there's money. I mean, for example, I believe he's got a vested interest in raw nutrition. I might be wrong. Uh, and there's a couple of other things that he's involved in. The clothing is probably going to sell as much clothing as any open class bodybuilder. And again, because of his physique, you don't need, you know, a triple XL. It's going to have something with a waist on it and all that kind of stuff. So there's an argument to be made for that. Something that you and I were talking about in the pre-show, which I'll touch upon now. We, we were saying PEDs. Do we think that the classic physique competitors, all of them, not just Chris, and I'll talk about Chris in a minute, are they using as much of a dosages? Are they using it as an extreme with regards to peptides of a dosage as uh, the open class? I'll let you come in here first, Steve, and I'll jump back in to talk about Chris Momentary. Yeah, I want to talk. I'll talk about that. And I want, I want to talk about how to get more fans into bodybuilding and why um, it, it, it's a struggle. So, you know, we've done these podcasts before where guys have passed away and we've seen their dosing. So, here, here's my perspective. We've seen in the autopsy what I've been using. So here's my perspective. It's in Mobster, and I talked about this on the pre-show, and I kind of disagree with Mobster, and I kind of agree with Mobster, um, because he was saying that, you know, the difference in I'm talking about today. I'm talking about today. What are guys using in the more physique co um, competition versus the open? And I think today they both are doing a lot of steroids two, three, four grams a week. And we've seen that with the autopsies. Now, back in the 70s, yes, they were using much, much, much less. Um, also today, and this is where I go with Mobster on, on today, I think that they're both doing lots of steroids. But I don't think this, I know this, but the guys, you know, the big Ramis and the hotties of the world who are in the open competition, they're also doing a ton of other things. They're doing tons of HGH. They're doing tons of insulin. They're doing DMP, they're doing clen, they're doing L or albuterol, they're doing anything they could throw at their body to help them. It's chemical warfare at that at that level. They need to be able to go on stage. There's going to be like so little of a difference, and you can out drug your opponent and move up from fifth place to fourth place or third place just by out drugging them. So it's just one of those things where you're trying to basically, it's just chemical warfare. You're trying to out chemical the, the, the other guy you're going up against. So I think that's a big part of it. 
Now, in the physique competitions, you know, in that cl classic look, they are doing a lot of steroids. I think they're doing less. So, yeah, I agree with Monster on that. They're doing less, but they're not doing as less as people assume. But I think they're just sticking to more cleaner options. The Primo is gone. Okay, I don't guys today don't mess around with Primo unless their coach is really, really old school. It's been replaced by trend. I don't care what category you're in trend, whether you're trying to do a physique competition and be 150 pounds or you're trying to be in the open competition and you want to be um, 300 pounds trend. It's trend. Okay, lots and lots of trend. They're doing a lot of um, Winstrel, a lot of Masteron. These are staples. All right. They're doing. They're doing um, equipoise. That's a big one. We saw in the autopsy recently, we've seen a couple autopsies of guys who have passed away who've been competing, all right? And they found lots of equipoise in their system. I think Mobster was like, what, a, a 2,000 milligrams of, of equipoise a week yep. is what they were using? George, George Peterson. George Peterson, that's yeah. That's, that's yeah, yeah. tons of equipoise. And equipoise is a very versatile steroid. So you can use equipoise for a lot of things, whether it be bulking, cutting, recomp. So that's a big one that they go to. So these are the steroids that they're using. But when it comes to the open competition, they're not only doing a bunch of those steroids, but they're also doing a ton of other things, non-steroids, the fat burners, the insulin, the peptides, not just HGH, but they're also doing other peptides. They're force feeding themselves with meals, eating tons of meals, eight, nine meals a day, force feeding themselves and making sure that they got the insulin in their body to partition that food. So that's, you know, that's a big thing. So really quick too, um, here's the thing. Um, on this side of the pond, Mobster, I don't know if it's the same way in England. Our miss, they don't even televise Mr. Olympia. The Mr. Olympia went 30 years without even being on TV. Then they brought it back, and it was on NBC Sports, which many people in America don't have access to. You need not only cable to get an NBC Sports, but you need to actually pay extra to get NBC Sports. So me, I have to pay an extra $10 a month for the sports package with my cable company, right? And that includes NBC Sports. So basically, when they brought it up, the ratings were like nobody watched it. Because it was on, you got to have, if they want Mr. Olympia to be popular and people watch it, they got to put that on ESPN. So they're going to have to pay ESPN money to put the Mr. Olympia on. ESPN is, is not interested in showing it because it just doesn't get ratings. So they're going to have to pay them to put it on. And once it gets popular, then ESPN will end up being like yeah we'll pay you to to televise it it's not in the nfl they have these huge tv contracts or you can go to the stadium and watch them you got 50, 60 70 000 people basketball you got twenty thousand people hockey you have twenty thousand people that come out bodybuilding what are you going to do you have an auditorium and how many people are you going to be a fit you've got to be up close to see these guys and you can't be all the way in the back i've been body bodybuilding competitions and i've had lousy seats you know and it's it's kind of a waste to even go to it. So you can't go in person to watch it. All the people in the front front half of the auditorium mobster, they're all sponsors or VIPs or people who who are relatives of of the competitors or the coaches or whatever. Or you know, so you know, you can't go to it and you can't watch it on TV. So who the hell is going to watch it? 
How, how the hell are we going to get to know these guys if we can't watch it in person or on TV? So that's the main problem. If you don't fix that, you're not gonna, you're not going to get money into bodybuilding in the first place. You can't just depend on Instagram pictures to promote this stuff. So mobster, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's, there's the pay-per-view, Steve, but even the pay-per-view is kind of an issue because the pay-per-view, in its way, is... A yeah, it's the only like, way to watch it. You actually have to pay to watch yeah, it. Yeah, 50 bucks. 50 yeah. bucks. I think it was 40 it's bucks like, in the United States. It's probably 50 over yeah, here. Yeah, I, I think it's, it's ridiculous. I think it's, I think it's 50, Steve, but you get if you buy it early, you get it down to about 35, 40 bucks. So at 50 bucks, that's about 40 quid. And 40 quid is a, is a decent lump of cash when... The, the problem with watching the, I mean, let's just be honest, Steve, because I've done it in the past, and you can see uh, copies of our live stream after the show where you know, I think it becomes free sometime afterwards. And I've seen this in the past when it has been free. It, it's hours and hours and hours long. And it's, I mean, stupidly long. It's not like watching uh, a, a big match, I'm sorry, a big fight where you get to see undercards fighting and they have a good fight. And then the main, the main attraction comes out and they do their sometimes five rounds, sometimes 12 rounds or whatever else. It's not like that. It is five, six, sometimes longer hours. And that's because of prejudging. That's because people have brought other comparisons. And it's kind of boring. That's why the highlight rule is way, way better. You, I, If you want to go to a show, and I've been to shows, I've, I've, the best is probably me going, turning up at the right time for an open class, for something like that. I've never been to a show from the very, very beginning, there's certainly not like the Olympia where literally you could have six or seven different kinds of classes coming on and it's an 11-hour day. That's just crazy, crazy boring. But on the um, classic physique against Steve, and I mentioned this in the pre-show, there was a poll and the poll was, which of the classes do you want to see? What are you looking forward to seeing at the Mr. Olympia? And the classic physique was number two. Number one was the open, and that's the hardcore bodybuilders. Like you said, it's going to be the people that are having the VIP packages, $700, $1,000 down at the front, all of the promoters and the sponsors and stuff like that, and people that are high up in organizations. They're going to be in the first half a dozen rows, So, it, and that's where the money is. So those people are always going to be there. They're the ones that are going to watch the 11 hours. They're the ones that are not going to want to miss anything, but the whole which don't forget, sometimes how this is done is who wins the, uh, the what's the, you, you have a, um, the fans vote. And it's been interesting to see that the fans vote has not always been the Mr. Olympia, for example, the open class, sometimes it's been someone else. So that's what's appealing to the fans versus what the judges saw as a winner and so on and so forth. So in this particular example, number two was the classic physique. So it's definitely of interest to me to see that it's becoming more appealing, that the audience themselves voted it as their second most wanting to watch class in the competition. My best guess, this is what I think is going to happen, Steve, and social media is a very, very good example of this because you and I touched on it earlier on. It's one of those things where you and I know, because we're old enough, the growth of social media, and I think specifically right now, just of Instagram, and again for bodybuilding, all the classes, has been huge. And I mean seriously, seriously, I mean, if we went back five years ago, 10 years ago, the numbers would be tiny. And the growth of social media and the numbers that have been attracted to for people to follow each of their individual heroes is being monumental. I suspect if you went back and just looked at Chris Bumstead again, I bet he had like maybe 2 million 
few years ago, then three million, then four million, and so on and so forth. So we get up to 15 million. So it's one of those things. Social media itself has had a massive, massive impact. And what are you looking at on social media that you don't get to see at the bodybuilding competitions? You're getting to see lifestyle. You're getting to them sitting down and doing reels where they tell you how they feel, what their day's like, uh, stuff like that. It's becoming more open, more, this is what I do. This is what the grind is. This is, I've got to go do this. I've got to go and get a massage. I have to go shopping. All of those things. We started to see that stuff 10, 15 years ago on, on videos, literally on the cassettes and DVDs. Then we started to see it on YouTube. Now you can have five minutes. There are, I mean, what's the, the latest thing? Telescope or or whatever it's called. Circles. Evan, Evan Center Pun has been circles and you literally have them coming and going through the day and you, you are literally seeing them doing stuff like the car needs air put into the tires. And for some perverse reading, it's becoming more and more popular because you feel like you are there with them doing that stuff. And Chris, especially, I think, has got a handle on that. One more thing, and I want to touch back on the PEDs again. You and I discussed this in the pre-show. I actually agree with pretty much what you said earlier on. Um, but I will say, in Chris's defence, because that's what you and I talked about, Chris has a medical condition, which I believe is an autoimmune. So basically, he can't fuck himself up too much, to put it crudely. And because he can't do that, I suspect Chris is a freak of freaks in that particular regards. He cannot take massively suppressive amounts of drugs. And the, the obvious one that you mentioned earlier one would be Trent. Is he taking something? God, yes. Of course he is. He's using, to use that wonderful euphemism that they even use themselves, that it, that it, it supplements. Of course he is. But he cannot take lots. He probably has on the briefest period of time he possibly can. And he's always, always, always keeping an eye on it. Anyway, guys, what do you think? Is Classic Physique the future? Is it going to be more popular? That's what we do this podcast for. Let us know what you think. Let's have some of your feedback. Please note, we are not doctors and the opinions are ours. It's our view and it's based on our experience and views on the topic. A podcast of informational purposes and entertainment only. The freedom of speech and the First Amendment applies.